would invite you to take out your uh, sermon handout, some places for you to, uh, to take some notes down as we go through the passage that was just read to us by Scott. Also, uh, for small group, we have the questions down here at the bottom. And on the back, you have the MPG, Memorize, Pray, and Glorify, where you will have a scripture from this, uh, this message to memorize this week. There'll be something to pray about and an activity that you can use based on the text today that you can glorify God through your life or God through you will bring uh, glory to Him in the way that you might share your faith with somebody. So with that said, let's begin with prayer and we're going to jump into the study. Father, we're grateful for this day. It's so full of blessing. It is so full of blessing, Father. The, the beauty of it, that high-definition beauty, clear skies, of sun, the different colors, Father, that array your creation. And then we come together, and we're together as a family, and the love is palpable. And the, 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 the sense of, of purpose and the sense that we are your children, Father, so tangible in each other's face. And we're so grateful that you're here with us, Father. Not only when we sing, but when we pray, when we study, you're with us at every moment of our life. And for this, we're grateful. And as we think about this text, Father, we're asking you to help us with eyes that see it and ears that hear it, to be changed and transformed by it in such a way that we bring glory to you. And this we pray with all of our heart in the name of Jesus and everyone said. Last week, we began our study of 1 Peter. Our thoughts focused on some of the very first things that Peter said about disciples. Very first verse, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, he says that as disciples of Jesus, we are strangers in the world. Say that with me, strangers in the world. You know as well as I do, it's, uh, it's easy to tell a stranger. They can kind of look strange or at least not from around here. Strange accents, strange clothing, strange food, strange customs. And sometimes a bit of that strangeness can bring some grief into your life. A fellow that makes me laugh by his movies is a fellow by the name of Bill Murray. One of uh, my favorite movies by Bill Murray is something called What About Bob? Have you seen it? Funny movies, co-starring Richard Dreyfuss. In the movie, Murray wears a t-shirt that caught my eye. I remembered it ever since. The t-shirt says, don't hassle me, I'm local. If you don't stand out, if you don't look different, if you are not a stranger but local, you are probably not going to be hassled. But Christians are strangers, and there are things that do not look uh, normal in the way that we live our lives, the value system that we embrace. Christians are not going to be a comfortable fit in the current zeitgeist, the current spirit of the age, whatever or wherever that may be found. And so what Peter does at the beginning of this book is to describe what a disciple of Jesus looks like as they live as strangers or foreigners in the world. There are four things that are up here on the screen. You can write them down. The first is God chosen. When God chooses, He extends or He gives a purpose to somebody. We are God-chosen and given a purpose. Secondly, we are God-praising. What is the best way to talk about God? It's through praise. How God is active and alive in the world. How He is intersecting our life every day and the ways that He has blessed us and brought us to the place that we are. Number three, God shining. 
Not every day is, is a bright day, but every day is a day in which God shines through you. And there's something about being a disciple of Jesus, God's Spirit inside of you, when it meets those hard times, when it meets those times of suffering, where God is able to shine through you, and you come out on the other side of that, a diamond. And then number four, God-loving. We are people who we just don't believe in God merely or only. We, we, don't, we don't believe in God only, but we also love God. Now, in this text, uh, one of the things you notice when you read 1 Peter is that when Peter wrote this letter, he's not trying to tell stories about Jesus' life, but trying to help people to understand how to live and to think and to see all of life like Jesus. And telling the stories of Jesus had already been put down on parchment when he had told the stories to John Mark, to Mark, which is now known to us as the Gospel of Mark. And one of the stories that is included in Peter's Gospel, which we call uh, Mark because he's the one that wrote it, one of the stories he included was the story of how angry he, he became, how angry he had gotten when those uh, Zebedee brothers had gone up to Jesus and said, Jesus, we want you to do something for us, but before we ask you what it is, we want you to promise that you're going to say yes. And what that was, was that... When Jesus comes into his glory, when Jesus is enthroned and everybody sees him in his glory and in his reign, his kingdom, is that one of the Zebedee brothers, James or John, would be on the right side, the other would be on the left. And when the other, other disciples heard this, Peter included, they got a little bit upset and they could not believe the gall of these two brothers. In fact, Peter probably was the one that wanted to handcuff those Zebedee brothers to a tree and fair fist fight them. But before that happened, Jesus calls them together and says, this is not the way that you're going to conduct yourselves as my disciples in the world. If you want to become great, you've got to become a servant. If you, want to be, if you want to be first, you have to become a slave. And then in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, he says this, For even the Son of Man, even myself, even Jesus, he's speaking, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to say it, serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now this is the story, I think, that kind of stands behind the text at the center of our study today. And those verses are verses 18 and 19 of 1 Peter 1. He writes, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life. That there was a life that all of us were living. It was empty, it was futile, it was vain. There was no purpose, there was no significance, there was no direction to it that had any connection with the kingdom of God. And we were redeemed from that empty life, handed down to us from our ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Now Peter's not the only one that's going to talk about this redemption and this ransoming. Paul, alongside Peter, is going to write the same kinds of things. In a letter that he wrote to Titus, he says, Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Now, Greek nerd alert. This word, redeem, we also find it sometimes as ransom, can mean either of those, to redeem somebody or to ransom someone. The word refers to the act of delivering, rescuing someone from that which has captured them or enslaved them or endangered them. So the main idea, the big idea that, that Peter is wanting to get across in these verses is this. 
A disciple of Jesus, a Christian, is someone whose life reflects a rescue from futility and death and a restoration to life and love. Let me say that again. A Christian is someone whose life reflects a rescue from futility and death and a restoration to life and love. Now, I don't know if you've ever been rescued. I don't know if you've ever been freed from, from something. But it is to be rescued, to be freed, is an absolutely top-of-the-world, amazing experience. And to help us to kind of get our minds around this, I want to give you three illustrations here. I have a friend by the name of Brian Simmons up in uh, Kansas who is uh, just an unbelievable car mechanic. He is one of those guys that can put his hand on your car while it's running and tell you exactly what's wrong with it. And uh, he loves to restore old cars, drives around a restored truck. It's beautiful. He found an old Camaro, uh, a 78 Camaro, in a, in a barn in middle Kansas and restored it absolutely to pristine uh, status. Well, he's not the only one. There are lots of people that do that. And you never know what kind of automotive gems you might discover in an old barn. A couple of car guys discovered these two cars up here on the screen in a barn in France. Uh, the vehicle on the left, under all the magazines, is a Ferrari 250 GT California Spider. Anybody want to hazard a guess at how much that car's worth? Twelve to fifteen million dollars for a car. The car on the other side is a Maserati. That car, that car on the left, though, that Ferrari became the most expensive magazine rack in all of history. <laughs> now, suppose these two car guys purchased these vehicles, this particular vehicle, at an enormous price and invested even more money to restore it to its original uh, beauty so that one day it looked like this. And then one day, the previous owner comes and asks if he can have his car back because he needs a magazine rack. The present owners, the new owners, would look, and sh they should, and they would, they would look at this guy in the eye and they would say, this car is no longer available for any use except the one that it was built for. It's been restored. Illustration number two, suppose a much-loved person is kidnapped from their family home one night and taken to a hidden and dangerous place. This person is struck in the face, this person is bleeding, they're treated roughly, they're tied up so tightly that it hurts, duct tape is placed over the mouth, breathing is difficult, there's no food, very little water, no bathroom, no light, just pain, anxiety, fear, and stress. A gigantic ransom is paid. A huge ransom is paid. And the, the loved one is restored. The kidnapped person is restored. He's alive, but he is hurting to the family where this person is going to be loved and nurtured and cared for until recovery from that ordeal, from that nightmare, is complete. That's what it means to be rescued from danger. Illustration number three. Family goes out to dinner. They go out to a nice restaurant. Father is wolfing down his steak, even though his wife is telling him to slow down and to chew his food. He says he knows how to eat. He's been doing it all his life. And then it happens. A piece of steak gets lodged in his windpipe. He can't breathe. He starts to cough. 
Nothing changes. He starts to turn red. Panic sets in, and his wife notices that he is choking to death. She panics, starts hitting him on the back of the head and on the back of the back. He starts to fall to the floor when somebody nearby catches him from behind and starts the Heimlich maneuver. The piece of steak is dislodged, and he starts to breathe. Now, what would you think if this fella clawed his way back to the table in order to gobble down that steak? You would think he doesn't have a clue. He doesn't understand what just happened to him. But if he does know how close to death he had just been, he turns and he clings to the one who saved him and he says, Thank you, thank you, thank you. You saved my life. And then he puts that arm around that person and says to everybody in that restaurant, I would be dead if it wasn't for this person right here. And then he might sit down at the table again, and he looks at his wife, but differently now that he has been rescued from death. And he looks at his children, but it's differently now, because he has just been rescued. And he looks differently at the stake now, since it nearly killed him. But from that point on, he is a different person. He has been rescued from death and brought to life. Now, in the story of the gospel, we were the beautiful car turned into a rusting magazine rack and then restored to the original beauty. So say to the person next to you, I'm not a magazine rack, but a Ferrari. Or you might say Ford pickup. We were the people under the control of evil and hostile forces, but rescued through the payment of a great price and reunited to the one who loves us. Say to the person next to you, I'm a kidnapping survivor. And we were the ones who were for all intents and purposes dead, but given life, and we see everything differently now. Say to the person next to you that Jesus gave me a spiritual Heimlich maneuver. You get the picture of what it means, right? To be redeemed, to be rescued. When the gospel comes into our lives and saves us, that salvation changes how we operate in the world. And Peter's going to repeat himself one more time, and he's going to say in the same chapter, verse 17, live out your time as foreigners or strangers here in reverent fear. And you know what that means? It means, number one, be thoughtful. Be thoughtful. In verse 13, he says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action and be fully sober. You know what the imagery there is? It, it's an idiomatic passage. It, it's basically talking about, you know, when in the ancient uh, uh, Near East, you know, men wore these long flowing robes and, and they'd have a belt around it, you know, kind of like a robe that we wear around the house early on Saturday morning. And what it meant is, you know, if you're going to get ready to do some work, you're not going to be able to do it with all of that stuff hanging around your legs. You're not going to be able to move very easily. In fact, you might get tripped up. And so the idea behind that word is, to, it says, gird up your, your, the, the loins of your mind, literally in the original language. It means that you would gather up all that's loose, and you'd kind of roll it up a little bit, and then duck, tuck it down into that belt so that you're ready to move. Now, what do you think the imagery, when they hear that, reminds them of? Exodus, where the people had just, you know, they had been over 400 years in slavery. 
And guess what? God remembers a promise. He decides he's going to take his people to the promised land. He shows up. There are all of these plagues. And you remember the story. There's just awful plagues. And finally, Egypt, the Pharaoh says, it's, it's okay. They can go. Get them out of here. We don't want to see them ever again. And the people were told at the Passover meal that was celebrated the night that the death angel went through the Egyptian nation, killed all of the firstborn. They were told to get their robes ready, to gird it up, and to get ready to move because God is calling them to a different kind of a future. So what that means, when we understand that we've been rescued, when we understand that we have been redeemed by the blood of the precious Lamb, Jesus Christ, a Lamb without defect, what that means is that there is a future. Remember, we've been chosen. We have been chosen by God, which means that there's a purpose, and there's a future, and a direction. And it means get yourself ready. Life is not going to be the same. Be thoughtful about your life and to be sober-minded about what it is that you are doing right now. You are no longer just a regular human being. You are a son or daughter of God. That means a different kind of a life. Number two, he says, be hopeful. Same verse. Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at His coming. Drop down to verse 21. Through Him you believe in God, who raised Him from the dead and glorified Him, and so your faith and hope are in God. In Scripture, hopes are realities you anticipate in life and in the future. And these are the realities that you are looking forward to. These are the realities that you're girding up the loins of your mind and being thoughtful about. And this is, this is the thing that you think about on a daily basis that becomes the most beautiful thing in your life. You think about, you know, you, if you get caught up in the present, you're getting caught up in something that's going to be gone and dead and rusted by tomorrow. The hope is what you're looking forward to in the future that God is calling you to, that God is preparing for you. He says in the text that we looked at last week, it's an inheritance in the place where God is. And so not only are we getting ready to move out as rescued and redeemed people and to live a different kind of a life, recognizing what God is doing through the Passover Lamb of Jesus, but we are also on a daily basis thinking about what that inheritance is. There is a life that is beyond our imagination. There is, there is a future in the presence of God that we could not even describe adequately if we saw it. We could only use words like streets of gold and things like that to describe it. It is that kind of awesome. And it's true even today. And then the third thing, be spiritual. In verses 14, 15, and 16, he says, Obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be, say it, holy in all you do, for it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. You know, one of the biggest mistakes... I think that, that we make in the modern church is that we, we see there's our life and then there's our church life. That's who we are when the preacher or an elder comes by the house. There, that, it, it's who we are on a Sunday morning. It's who we are in our small group. It's who we are on Wednesday night. It's who we are when we run into a brother or sister at the Walmart or the Taco Cabana. But in the thinking, in, in thinking biblically, Old Testament and New Testament both, a truly spiritual person 
does not separate, separate life into that which God controls, and then there are the other parts of my life that I control. That is, that is not the world that the Bible was written in. The way that we live our life in terms of this is my spiritual life, and this is my secular life, and this is the life I control, this is the part of my life that God controls, did not exist. That was not even a concept in the minds of the people that wrote down the words of the Bible that we read even to this day. To them, God was holy, which meant there wasn't a part of him that was just really great and awe-inspiring, and then there was the other part that we don't ever get to see. What it meant that because God was holy, there was a character, a way of acting and thinking, behavior, uh, uh, patterns of behavior that ran through the core of who he is. And so in the way that the Bible describes God's holiness, God is holy means that he is infinitely other, he is cosmically different, he is eternally awe-inspiring, and he is divinely incomparable. In other words, God is off the chart. God is off the chart. What it means is that God is more than just an enhancement program for your life. What it means is that God is more than just an enrichment program for your life. And Peter is telling us as disciples of Jesus, people that look like strangers, who do not get their cues for life from the the surrounding regions or the way people in those cultures would typically be able to identify people and recognize them and, and understand them. Peter is telling us that we are consolidating our lives, that we are consolidating our lives to be holy as God is holy. Which means, quite frankly, you and me, we're going to look strange. We're going to look strange. We're going to look very strange. If there's one thing to ponder this week, it might be this. This phrase, you can write it down. We are not a counterculture. We are the original culture. You remember there was, a, there was a, a, a time in history where God created everything, and everything that was created reflected glory back to Him, even the human beings. They recognized there was God. Not only did they recognize Him and believe Him, but they loved to walk with Him in the cool of the morning, cool of the day. There was interaction. And then something happened, and the world was turned upside down. That little thing that turned it upside down was a three-letter word called sin, which in our mind is a rebellion against God. Not giving God glory, not giving God worship, but giving that glory and giving that worship to other things, Paul would say, in a place like Romans. And what happened is that through a trajectory of that kind of rebellion against God, the culture made its way throughout the entire world that in Genesis chapter 6, God is grieved in His heart, We know about the flood. By the time we get to Genesis chapter 12, the world is in the same kind of shape. But this time there is an Abraham that is called who is not going to allow the shape of the world, the thinking of the world, culture of the world, the the, the values of the world to shape his thing. And when God says, I'm going to take you uh, from the Ur of the Chaldees back to the promised land, he goes. And you know the story. There's all of these these blessings that he's going to be given. They're unconditional. God doesn't say, you do this and I'm going to do that. He says, I'm going to do this for you. And Abraham goes. And the big one, as you know, was to have the son. 
And he goes, and, 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 and through space and time, things begin to happen. And, but the son, the child, is not there for Abraham. And Paul, thinking back about what the world had become and why this is such a, a, a watershed event in the history of, history of human beings, is that Abraham is thinking. He's being thoughtful. He's thinking about his own body. God said, I'm going to give you a child. And he looks at his body. He is 100 years old. 100 years old. He's just about twice my age. I couldn't imagine having one of these running around unless they got to go home with, you know, as a grandparent, they get to go home with the, the kids at the end of the day. And he's thinking, that's my wife, she's 90. Not going to happen with her either. But he's considering, thinking, he's considering his body. He's not allowing the world to dictate the way that he thinks about God, the way that he's going to live. And he's not perfect. But in Genesis chapter 15, he believes, he gives glory to God. That's what Paul says in Romans chapter 4. He gives glory to God and believe that God would do what he said. And we are the children of Abraham through faith in Christ Jesus, who too have been rescued. And all of the rich history of the Old Testament comes to bear in the church. But we are strange in the sense that we are the ones that are restoring faith and, and trust and belief and love and intimacy with God the way that it was found in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Just know that it will happen in complete fruition and in completion one day in the future when all things are, are, are done and we see Jesus once again. What we're doing, church, is restoring the original culture. The culture that, 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 that recognizes that God is God and, and, and nothing less. And people are people and nothing more. And that the two, the two can come together in Christ Jesus. And the way that we live our life, the way that we demonstrate faith, the way that we illustrate it with our money, our values, our relationships, everything about us, the way that we illustrate that helps the world to see what the future looks like and what the, how the future can be different beginning today for them. And that's what we want to offer you right now, the opportunity. Some of our shepherds will be down here at the front. We're going to sing a song of praise to God. And what we would like for you to do is if you've been thinking about, it, you know, it's time. It's time for me. It's time for me to commit my life to God, to, to take that step through faith and belief to begin loving Him and trusting Him and ordering my life, being thoughtful, you know, girding up the loins of my mind and being ready to follow to the future that He will lead me to. And to become a different kind of a person. To be holy as He is holy. And all of, and all of the things that that means. And if that describes you this morning, we, we invite you. We implore you to come and to talk to these shepherds or to one of the ministers as we stand and praise God together right now. Let's stand.